Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're talking about marriage. <clears throat> um, for those of you who haven't been here last time, please make the effort and get the, the, the message, the CD or the DVD. It will really bless you. You can also give it to your friends. Um, because the, the whole condemnation thing about marriage, it's lifted, lifted if we see what marriage really is. Um, in the Old Testament, we had types and shadows. You know, you would sacrifice a lamb and that lamb would speak about Jesus. Um, you would sacrifice a dove and that dove will speak about Jesus. You will pour out oil, that oil will speak about the Holy Spirit. There was different sacrifices and different, different Old Testament types and shadows. And those types and shadows was only pointing to the real thing, which is Jesus. Now we will get, we will get to, it's 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7. Um, so, uh, the, these types and shadows, you can just look at me, I'm so beautiful. <coughs> um, these types and shadows uh, can never condemn you in the New Testament, because it passed away. Okay? So, today, if you don't sacrifice a, a, a little lamb for your sins, you cannot be condemned for not sacrificing that lamb. In the same way, the communion today is a type and a shadow. It is not the substance. It is just something that points to Jesus and that makes us think of Christ. Um, you know, you can take, uh, even in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, Paul says, you guys are taking the communion, but because you don't understand what it's about, that's why there are many sick among you, many weak, and some has, has even died. Because it's not in the taking of the communion, but in the understanding of what the type and the shadow is all about, where the power lies. In the same, the same way with baptism. Baptism cannot save you. You know, if you go for a swim, like I said last time, if you go for a swim, it's wonderful to go for a swim, you know. Um, you go into the water and come out and what you'll enjoy is the, 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 the refreshment of having a swim. But if you go and you're baptized, you also go under the water and you also come out of the water. But the understanding of what it represents is what carries the power. So, even if you're not baptized and you believe in Jesus, you are saved. If you believe what is done for you. We are not saved by water baptism. We are not saved by communion. In the, 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 it's all types and shadows. In the same way, marriage is a type and a shadow of the church and Christ. Amen. So if we mess up the sign, in other words, if it should happen that you got divorced, you cannot be condemned to hell for that. Because it's a type and a shadow of the real thing. Now I'm not saying that you can now go and get divorced. The, the only thing that I want to do is take the condemnation thing and the law system out of marriage. Because um, in the, uh, uh, in, for so many years in church there's been a couple of sins. That is, uh, I mean Jesus died basically for all sins. But one sin that people are condemned with forever is if they got divorced. If they got divorced, it's like this thing will hang over their heads for the rest of their lives and they'll be condemned by everybody. Where it's a type and a shadow. Now, I do believe that if you uh, would get divorced and it's just for any and every reason, 
even if it's not for any and every reason, it will have its consequences in this world. Your children will get hurt, you will be lonely, you will wish it, it never happened. There's a lot of hurt involved in divorce. Um, I've seen people, they were not happily married, and after they got divorced they said, well, you know, I think it was better when I was married. Because there's so much neg- neg- negativity uh, uh, connected to that. It's now you, 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 get, uh, you get another wife, and she's got children, and now it's who's going to inherit what, and it's, there's so many practical things. We can just have a massive list and go down the whole night on that road on the negative things of divorce. So, and, and I want you to hear me. I'm not here to say you can go and get divorced. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... The law that says, if you get divorced, God will be angry with you, is not supposed to be the power behind your marriage that keeps you together. Because that's not how God designed the marriage. That's not how God designed people to be together. There's a different power that's supposed to work there. So we are not, we are not supposed to say, well, I'm going to be married. The Bible says, you know, God hates divorce. And therefore, I will not get divorced. I'm going to stick with my partner, doesn't matter what, because I don't want to be on, in, in God's, on God's bad side, and He's going to be angry. So, I want to say to everybody here, maybe you new visitor or whatever, if you've been divorced, it's, a, it's just a sign of the substance. And you cannot find your life in, in, in what has happened to you. Maybe you've got divorced. And, and you, were, you were condemned, you feel in your heart, God, you know, maybe one day when I stand before your throne, you know, I've cheated on my wife, or I've cheated on my husband, or I was just fed up and I want to get out of that thing. Um, oh God, you know, deep in the back of your mind, there's a little bit of condemnation. As much as what you cannot be condemned for not slaughtering a turtle dove, or killing a turtle dove for the sacrifice of your sin, that's how little condemnation there will be for you, if you got divorced. And anybody, everybody here, I want to tell you, and, and this is what the law says, Paul says, says it clearly. If you want to stand before God by the law, and you break one law, then, it, it talks about circumcision, let me just, uh, don't get ahead of myself here, it talks about circumcision, Paul quotes circumcision, he says to the circumcised people, he said to them, to the Jews, listen guys, if your circumcision If you say, I stand on the circumcision, I'm keeping the law. And you break one law, then your circumcision became an uncircumcision. So what that means is, if I say that I will be justified before God because I stay married to my wife, and you sin in any other area once, your marriage became a divorce anyway. So you can never stand before God on the basis of the, the, the way uh, um, you treat your wife or your wife treats you. You can never stand before God on that basis. That does not give you points with God. Because, I mean, the person that got divorced, that stands on the blood of Jesus and what Christ has done for him, and gets before God one day, before the, before the judgment seat of Christ, will have, I mean, he's got the same foundation than the person that has been happily married for 80 years. 
Never had one wrong thought because the holy life is lived is not what is considered before the judgment seat of Christ. What's considered there is Christ's doing on behalf of mankind. And I think we should take marriage and just put it in the gospel. So that we can get the law out of marriage, so that we can get the ministration of death out of marriage, so that we can be happily married. Okay? Amen. You know, if, if we don't understand grace, it will be very difficult to be happily married. It will be very difficult because your joy in marriage will be on how can, I, how can she meet my needs and her vision will be how can he meet my needs. And if you can meet each other's needs well enough, then it will work. But if there's somewhere there a, 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 a too big personality clash or something, the thing is not going to work. Because it's based on willpower. Okay. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 says, For I would that all men were even as I, I myself, but every man has his own proper gift of God, one after this manner and the other after that. So what Paul is saying here, um, and I want to go to the word, the, the Greek word there, uh, a gift. But before we do that, I want to just explain the context there. Paul says, and now this is what Paul says, Paul says, I say, not the Lord, I say. It's better for a person to stay in the state he is. If you've got the gift not to be married, don't marry. Because it's easier for the spreading of the gospel. But if you've got the gift to be married, you should be married. Now what I want to focus on, it's a gift. Now let's go to the word gift there. Grace or gifts denoting extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ. The reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating on their souls by the Holy Spirit. So to be married is a grace. It's a grace. It, it, the, the, the foundation of marriage is a grace. It's grace. So without understanding the grace of God, how can you be married happily? Because the foundation of the whole thing is the message of God's grace. It says God gives people the grace to be married or the grace not to be married. So a person that's got no desire to be with a woman, that's got no desire for a family, that wants to be alone and go and preach the gospel, has been empowered by God to do that. And for him to effectively function in that, he needs to understand his design, he needs to understand what Christ has done on the cross, he needs to understand who he is in Jesus Christ to function in that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So a person that by the... Now, let me first put it this way. You get people that just in himself, he doesn't want to be with anybody. He just wants to be alone. You get those people as well. You get people that they, they, they are lonely. Now they want to be with somebody to get rid of their loneliness. The context here, I believe, and the New Testament context is people who live in the grace of God and in the gospel. And now, they wrote to Paul and said to Paul, Paul, what about marriage? What about divorce? What about this? What about that? So here's the context, people that believe in Jesus. So, for people that believe in Jesus, when I feel in my heart, I want to get married to Helena, it's not, oh my goodness, you know, I cannot live without sex. 
That's not what it's about. The moment I see that, I see, but this is God working in my heart. It's a grace and enablement of God where I can have the ability to function together with somebody else. It's not all of a sudden, okay, um, I need to have somebody and now I must see how this person can make me happy. So now I'm going to go down this line and I'm going to go out with this lady, I'm going to go out with that guy, I'm going to go out with 50 people to see as if I can find the right one that can work for me. Now, I don't say grab the first and best person you, you, you can get. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, it's the power of marriage does not lie in that person. Because you can find somebody, they are happily married for 20 years, then the husband or the wife dies, they get married again, and then they're happily married again for another 20 years. So, so what makes the thing work? There's something inside that. There's a grace that makes this work. It's a gift. That's what it says. It's a gift. Now the Bible says, by faith we have access into the grace of God. So when we have a New Testament marriage, it it, it must come from the revelation of what Christ has done on the cross. And Paul has done that so beautifully in explaining that in Ephesians 5 verse 23. Where he says, marriage, if we talk about marriage, if we talk about what Christ has done for us, uh, sorry, if we talk about how people should be married, let's look at Jesus. How he loves the church, and how uh, um, the church is supposed to love him as a result of his love for the church. So here all of a sudden, when we get married, and and man, uh, I just wish I knew what I know now, (laughs) when I got married. I'm sure things would have been much easier. You know, it's, you know, when you get married, I remember Elena and I, when we, when we just got married, you know, Don said, no, it's two different personalities getting into one house. You know, I didn't, it was funny, funny to me to have somebody in my bed. (laughs) Like I was used to sleep alone, you know. Now there's somebody in my bed. I remember one day we had a major argument. My fault, of course, you know. My, my, my fault, of course. We just got married. We, uh, okay, it's, it's, I don't want to say we because then she's... I was slamming the doors. I've been slamming the doors, you know. Revving the car and everything, you know. And then my... <laughs> I mean, we lived this far from the neighbor's wall there. So then, and I think, how long have we stayed there? We just came back from honeymoon. Eh? So we had this fight. We only, the only reason why we were fighting is because she didn't want to listen. If she listens, you're no problem. So anyway, so we had this fight. I'm sure at 2 o'clock in the morning they were hearing it. So the next day... The guy comes out, he says to me, young man? I say, Uchanet? No, no, it's going well and everything, so what do you do for a living? No, I said, I'm in Bible school, I'm still learning. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, this is this, in the beginning it's difficult. But if I understood that this was not about, well, I just feel a desire for her. She feels desire to be with me and we want to be together. And this is the thing you do. You know, you, you, you fall in love and then you feel this is the person for you and now you're together for the rest of your life. 
and we've made this decision, we're going to be together and I'm going to love her, she's going to love me. If I realized that marriage was much deeper than that, but that it was something that God has enabled me to do and that, and that it's a gift of God that functions, grace functions from belief in the finished work of the cross. And when I could start to see in the beginning that it's not just Eliana and I, but it is more, completely more, uh, we are representing the, the, uh, the relationship that there is between Jesus and the church. And that it's not a law of I'm trying to stay with her. It's not about that document where I've promised to say I'm going to stick out with her. That document where you promise, it's, you can go and check it out. They do it in every faith and even if there's no faith, the same document is read. The same vows there is read. It's given by the government. It's all it is, is a government document acknowledging that you are now actually together. So that you can have, so that, so that if you should be divorced, they can say whose stuff is whose. And whose kids are whose kids and all that. That's what it's about. That's how far it goes when it comes to that document. But there's something much deeper. That if you come and you see your wife or your husband, you say, but this is the opportunity. You know, it would have been so nice to say, this is the lady that I choose, and, I, and she says, this is the man that I choose, where we're going to, as a couple, represent what Christ has done for the church. And from that platform, start and live together. Get married and be together. Amen. From there, we see our children as the fruit of this union. Then we see, well, in my union with Christ, I see fruit. And it will be so much easier to understand the gospel as well. You know, it will be so much easier not to fall into the trap of the law. Because here is a powerful sign where we've got... I mean, listen, if you take communion, you know, sometimes say, my children are sick or something, then I will say, listen, let's take communion. Not that the communion is the power of the gospel, but the, um, the reference that we have is the power. So now we, we take the, the wine and we take the bread and we think and meditate on the, what Jesus has done for us and we thank God for healing and then they get healed. Or if whatever stress there is or whatever, we'll do it in remembrance of Christ. But here is marriage now. Something that you don't do once a week. Something that you... Every moment of the day, you're in it. You can't get away from it. And the moment we start to see marriage not as what can one do, uh, uh, how, how can she please me, or she thinks how can I please her, but that she starts to see, when I, when I see her, I think of Christ and the church. Christ and the church. That's what Paul says. He says this marriage is a mystery. It is all about Christ and the church. And in the last couple of weeks since I really started to go deeper into this, you know, I've just uh, gotten my mind, and as I was thinking of this, I've I've gotten my mind into thinking of Eliana in that way. Now, I don't say that I, I do everything right. It's not about doing right anymore. It's not what it's about. It's not that we will never have an argument. I'm not trying to live right. All I do is, I want to just take this marriage and see the reference it has with Jesus and the church. And that's all I do. And out of that flows grace. 
and the power of God and the manifestation of love and joy and peace and all those things in the marriage. Love for the children. It, it, it is easy to spend time together. Come on, let's all go together and do this for the day. It's not, oh man, I actually want to be alone, but all of a sudden it's, the thing is changing. I find uh, 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 the, the, the Holy Spirit working more in my heart. Because there's a different reference. It is what Christ has done for us. Now, um, I want us just to get another verse up there. Please, uh, let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 23. Now, I want you to read this with me. So, we can clearly see that that, that, that uh, Greek definition there is... It's a divine influence in our hearts. It's where God works in the soul of a man. That's one of the meanings there. God working in your soul. So, if you've been gifted by God to be married, why is marriage holy? Let me just explain, let me just uh, uh, talk about that. You know, we talk about marriage as holy. Why do we say marriage is holy? The word holy means to be set apart. Why would we say the fact that two people become one... And then they are one in flesh because they become intimate with each other and then have children out of that. Why do we call that holy or set apart? Because God has set that apart as a sign for the truth between Him and us. That's it. And I tell you, even in my mind, it was difficult to to start and to move away from Well, you know, this is marriage and there are these rules in marriage and whatever. Because that's how we've always been taught. If we can start to think, but this is the physical manifestation of that shadow of Christ and the church. Man, it brings a different dynamic to this. this. Let's just look at how Christ treats the church. Okay, wives, understand and support your husband in ways... That show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. You can see it there. So how does Christ provide leadership to the church? Not by domineering the church, but by cherishing the church. So now, the revelation. Now for me to say, okay, Christ cherished the church. So now I must cherish my wife. That is a law. What Paul is writing here is he talks to, to people about a revelation of how Christ cherishes us. And then to see this marriage as the shadow of that. And from that revelation of how he cherishes you, you'll find that you can cherish your wife. So, let me put it this way. It's impossible for a husband... It's impossible for a marriage to be as God intended it to be without the husband experiencing God as a God that cherishes him. So as a husband, as a man, you must realize that God cherishes you. Without you living in that revelation and absolute persuasion of how God cherishes you, I want to tell you, the foundation of your marriage is what can we do for each other. Now, I don't say it cannot work. 
in, in the sense of we stay together and we, 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 we try and make it work. But I can tell you that from this revelation of God cherishes me. And that emotion that flows from that, from that revelation, knowing that God has now even gifted me and enabled me to be in His kingdom a person where I am united with a, with a woman... And out of that is a sign to the whole world and to me of how God loves me. My goodness, there's a different power. Completely different. So listen to this. By, not by domineering, but by cherish, cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. I mean, this is so easy. This is not difficult. We're talking about fruit here. We're not talking about commandment here. Somebody that's cherished. You know, if I've got, I've got three boys. If I cherish the one and dislike the other one, it's not difficult for the one that is cherished to cherish someone else. Because that's what, he, what he's used to, that's what's planted in him. It comes naturally. For the one that's rejected to love somebody else and cherish somebody else, it is very difficult. I remember when I was small, my dad would uh, come and he would give me a hiding, you know. And then I would say, and then, you know, ach, you know, I don't know if I was stout or if my father was But I would get a lot of hidings. And then one day, I got so angry, I said, I'm going to hit my children the way I'm beaten. Because there was a place where I wanted to get rid of this anger inside me. A person that is loved can love. A person that is rejected will reject. You'll find people that when they are molested as children, the chance that they will molest their children is very good. Although they've hated it, the chance, I don't say everybody, but the chance that that will happen to their kids is very good. If you were hurt in a, when, when you were a child, the same thing can happen to your children. You can do the same to them if, if it's been done to you. So, um, what I want to say is, marriage is not supposed to come out of two broken people living under condemnation, thinking they stand before God with the accuser of, you better have a good marriage, thinking you're going to live a good life. And now giving your best shot at it. That's not where marriage comes from. It comes from a revelation, number one, of the husband knowing how God cherishes him. Now for us as men sometimes, you know, with our trots, you know, to be cherished. The word cherish and a man doesn't go together. Now, Christ, God cherishes you as a man and the woman as well, but He cherishes you. There's nothing you can do about it. You can say, oh, that's for sissies. Sorry for you, but God thought that you need it. And you cannot live without it. I need to feel loved. I need to feel that I'm worth something. I need someone to say something good about me. And that's not, 
Or, I, 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 you, that's the way I am and that's the way everybody is. Every one of you need to hear that somebody tells you, listen, I approve of you. I love you the way you are. You are precious to me. When I see you, you make my day. Now, if somebody that I don't know comes and tells me, Bertie, you make my day, then I think, what do you want from me? Okay? The greatest compliment you can ever have is if the Almighty God comes and says, I cherish you. With more than words. But by His actions and by His deeds, He cherishes you. And He gives His Son and redeems you from the message of condemnation. And then declares His acceptance over your life with words of adoration. Hallelujah. And from that revelation, we find we've been enabled, engraced to be married. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Let's go on there. Verse 24. So just as the church submits to Christ as He exercised such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their own husbands. You know, and, and this is just a very practical thing. Um, if where, What will normally happen is where I feel cherished by God, that's how I will cherish my wife. You know, so... And this is a thing that I just want to say, and this is how I see submission. Submission is not, I'm the boss, you listen to me. That's not submission in marriage. Submission in marriage is to the love that the husband feels from God in this revelation of grace. When he comes and he portrays that extravagant love towards her. You know, in, in ways that makes him feel special before God. Not to reject it, but to accept it. And in such a way, you will find that the love language will grow and broaden. My love language is, my wife must just, I like it if I've done something good, and she comes and says, this is good. If I've preached here, and I sit in in the car and I go home, I don't care what anybody here says. Everybody here can say, oh, hallelujah, wah, wah, wah. But if I go home and she says to me, you have to feel gehakkelma. Then everything you've said means nothing. It means nothing. If everybody here, you know, ah, yeah, we know everything you say, what, what. And she comes in the car and says, that really blessed me. That's my love language. Okay? Now, what makes me feel special, that's what I will live towards her. The extravagance that I'm experiencing from God here, the, the adoration, the, the being loved and pampered from God, that's what I will take and give towards her. And don't reject that. Because I might come and I might say to her, Yes, yes, my boy. And yes, my oulik. You know, and I can give her all the love talk. That's because that's what God tells me. And that's how I feel that He cherishes me. And that's what I understand. And that's then what I give. So I want to say to the, to the woman, and this is what He says here, So just as the church submits to Christ, as He exercises such leadership. How do we submit to Christ as He exercises such leadership? How did He lead us? He led us by dying the law man for us. 
And then He invites us and He says, listen, this is what I've done for you. You don't have to be justified by your works anymore. I give you my righteousness as a free gift. Therefore, I speak over you today. You are righteous. I declare you holy. I declare you this. I declare you that. So out of that revelation, we as husbands live towards our wives. And we speak because we know this, is, this revelation empowers us in our marriage. Amen. So then receive that. And as you receive that, you will find the relationship between two people will grow and broaden. And the husband will start to understand the wife's love language more. Maybe her, what is special to her, what's special to Eliana is if I do something for her. Now to me, I always said, my love language is so easy. You just say, yes, Simon, yes, yeah, you're so nice. But I must build a wall for her. <laughs> I must do this, I must do, because her love language is speaking. But, as she receives my love language. Because that's how I experience it from God. That's what I know. I know He's cherishing. And as I share it with her, and she receives my love language, I don't experience rejection from there. Because she submits to my love that I give her. We've always made the submission is, the husband is higher than the wife, and the wife is the slave of the man. You know, Christ is free, and we all know that. The husband is free, and we all don't do that. But the wife is not free. She's bound. That's not true. Christ is free, the husband's free, and the wife's free. Amen. Amen. We're all supposed to live in the liberty of Christ. But the submission job, if I want to put it like that, or the advice that Paul gives from the revelation of the type and the shadow of marriage is, let the wife receive... Don't reject the love that your husband wants to give you. As you seen, if you see your husband is doing something special for you, or he is, he is speaking good word, words, or whatever, that's maybe in line with his love language. Receive it. Don't let it just be nothing. Receive it. And as it's received, you'll see it will broaden, and uh, out of that acceptance, you will find the husband building the wall. <laughs> Amen. Or digging in the garden. His laziness will fall off him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, husbands, go, uh, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Now, he says your husbands, go all out in your love for your wife as Christ for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. So, before you can even do that, you must first know that God's love towards you is not that He wants to get anything from you, but that He wants to give to you. And that must be rooted in your heart. And I want to say this, to the measure of your revelation of this is the measure of joy in your marriage. Because this will satisfy you. And from satisfaction, you will live towards your, uh, your, your uh, wife. Amen. All of a sudden, there's not a list of things she needs to do for you to be happy, because you're already happy. 
for the before you understand this revelation that that his love is marked by giving and not getting so christ loves you this way if you read this as a law i want to tell you this is one of the worst scriptures you can ever read well christ christ loves me like this therefore i must love remember this was written by the apostle paul paul the apostle had one revelation and that is a revelation of christ produces fruit and Trying to obey commandments will destroy your life. So he was not trying to write the commandment here. He was trying to show to you how a happy marriage functions. It functions from the revelation of Christ and what is done for the church. What is done for you. And to make this personal between you and God. Hallelujah. Right, verse 26. Christ's love makes a church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Now, unless you can see God all the time speaking words about you that evokes your beauty. And I'm talking to the men. I want to tell you the the good that comes out of your life comes out of hearing the good that God says about you. And to have this as a theory, people, does not have any power. It must come to a place where you can go and close your eyes and stand before God and you can really in your spirit hear God saying such good things about you that it produces good in your life. So the source of good in your life, the source of beauty in your life is not your hard work. For God. It's not your willpower. It's, not, it's nothing to do with that. It is His words of wonder that He speaks over you. Let's read it again. Verse 26. Christ's love makes the church whole. So what makes you whole? God's love for you. Not another commandment on how to get God to smile over your life. That can never make you whole. That will break you. Amen. I mean, if I come home and, uh, um, you know, what, what my wife has got for me is another rule that I must obey to get her to be happy with me. After I've come from Zambia now in the deep bush. And I don't want another rule. I want a cup of coffee. You know? And a wife that just hugs me and loves me and kids that jump on my lap and kiss me. That's what I want. I don't want the rule. Christ's love makes the church whole. If I've been going through a hard time where I feel the love will make me whole. And in that love you can correct me. You can speak to me, you can tell me, Bertie, maybe you should have done it this way, you should have done it that way. But in the safe environment of feeling loved. Without feeling that love, I tell you, it it cannot work. It's impossible. You can have the right answer, but without that emotion of love, it cannot work. Right. I read it again. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Now, how does he do... Read on. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. 
So how does Christ dress us in dazzling white silk? By words. By saying, this is how pure you are. This is how holy you are. This is how sinless you are. For I have removed your sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. There is nothing separating you from me. I live in you. You are holy enough that I can indwell you forevermore. It was nicer for me to come and live in you than to live in heaven all the time. Words like that evokes beauty out of you, brings commitment, brings peace, brings joy. And unless a man, now, now listen to this, unless a man can stand in the, in the place of a woman in his relationship with God, it will be very difficult to be a man in your relationship with your wife. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Unless you can say, I'm willing to be, I'm willing to let Jesus be the man, and I'm the woman, as a man, saying, I'm willing that He will dress me up with words of beauty. I'm willing that He can cherish me. I'm willing to be the one that is served by the husband. I'm willing to see the Lord laying down His life for me. And sit and receive that. It will be impossible for you to have the God-intended marriage. Because that is the foundation of marriage. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 7, To the one is the gift given, the grace given. Grace is the influence of God. To be married to the other one, the influence not to be married and preach the gospel. So there was a revelation of these things that took Paul's life and said, Well, I'm going to lay it all down for the preaching of the gospel. To the other person, when he sees the love of Christ, there's a natural inclination to have somebody and live out of that relationship towards that person. Amen. So. And I want you to understand this. This is the foundation of marriage. Because if we go and look at statistics, we find so many people getting divorced. I think they say it's it's 60%. I don't know what it is. But say it's 60%. I think it was 60 or 70% in South Africa. Of all people get divorced. That get married. Now, I cannot understand that it's not 99% with a revelation that we've had about marriage. It's supposed to be much worse. I think people have done good <laughs> with a 70% getting divorced. Because with a law as the foundation of marriage, with people living empty lives, trying to find their fulfillment in what the other one must do, the other human being trying to fill a void that only God can fill. It's impossible to be happy. It's impossible. Verse 27, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Uh, You have to hear God speaking to you, dressing you in dazzling white silk with His words. Dazzling white silk. That's how He speaks about you. Radiant with holiness. So unless you can hear, as a man, God speaking words about you, where you shine with the holiness of God. Holiness means to be set apart for God. Where God comes with words of beauty telling you how He set you apart only for Him. Where you are holy, white, without blemish before Him with the words of the cross and the effect of the blood of Jesus 
I want to tell you, my friend, there's no foundation from where you can have a successful marriage. Get So, if you want to... I hate these words, but let me use it. If you want to work on your marriage, stop trying to work on your marriage and get into the gospel of grace. Where, God, where you can feel the love of God. Hallelujah. And I, I just feel... I want to say this now. <clears throat> you know, maybe you're a believer and your uh, wife is not a believer or your husband is, is not a believer as you believe in the grace of God. Grab a hold of this grace to the point where this flows out of your life and give them grace. I'm not talking about mercy. Give them mercy as well where you treat them better than they deserve. But bring a gospel where, that can influence their life unto this life. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, we don't know as if we, through our life, life will get our husband or wife saved. We, we don't know. But as long as what you can live together, Paul says, and you are happy together, and the, the husband doesn't want to divorce you or whatever, stay there and give it your best shot. In this grace message, giving them grace. Giving them the gospel of grace. Giving them a CD. You know, talking about the goodness of God. Treating them better than they deserve. Because they are not empowered to do that. They live just, the, the unsafe person just lives out of pure willpower. Where we are living from, from this influence. And as a husband, get into this message. Dress up your wife with, with these words of beauty that will be a natural outflow from your revelation of grace. The wife, remember, as a wife, you also stand directly under Christ, for, for we are the body and He's the head. And the same cherishing that you are feeling from Jesus, you can just live that in that situation towards your children and towards your husband. You know, and, and I, I, I just want to say this, don't go, I live in grace here, but when I get home, now I've got my whole new law system now, how this, this house thing must work now. No, no, this can be applied in your marriage as well. You can live in that grace message as well, there. Just make this an absolute. I found, just a little bit of experience out of my own life, you know, I will get a a wonderful revelation of how much God loves me, like dressing me up in dazzling white silk and whatever, you know. And then I will say, wow, hallelujah, it's a wonderful message to preach, it makes me feel good for two hours. You know, and whatever. And then I go on with my normal day's life. And then um, you, you maybe go through a bit of stress or a bit of this or a bit of that. But what about just sitting down, not hunting another revelation, but sitting down and just letting that thing have its full impact in your life. Sitting, well, I'm going to see how he dresses me in dazzling white silk. And maybe take a month on that one verse and just meditate upon that and hear what he says to you and let that have its effect in your life and you'll find the effortless change in your life hallelujah amen and that's how husbands ought to treat their wives they are really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage no one abuses his own body does he no he feeds and pampers it that's how Christ treats us, the church. You don't abuse your own body, no, no. What do you do? You feed and pamper it. That's how Christ 
treats us. And I want to challenge all the men, the people that watch me on the internet. All the men, go and sit down and, and say, God, I want to see how you feed me and pamper me. But you become too macho to be pampered by the Lord. But I want to tell you, let's just for a moment forget about the Lord and all of that. But in a, in a relationship, if the husband pampers the wife and treats her so good, say to her everything she wants to hear from a real heart of love, I tell you, she'll do anything for you. Because it is your power inside her now. You will be living in her. Because what you say produces a life inside her. In the very same way, I want to tell you, the only way for God to give birth to a new life in you is when you can hear His words of beauty, His word of adoration towards you because of the sacrifice, how He pampers you and how He cares for you, how He treats you better than what you deserve, how He is actually... uh, uh, You know, God is captivated with you, man. When we see that, we find out of that revelation of what He says, this new life flow, out of that new life that flows is also the enablement to to live that same, to, to, to reproduce that in your marriage. If the, if the wife is in the same relationship with Jesus, you will find that that submission, which is receiving of that love, will come naturally for her. She will not be dependent on my love for her, but her love and her stability will come out of her experiencing the pampering of the Lord. And when we come together, we find this, this, where we are together, that it's actually such a, a shadow or an uh, 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 portraying, it's portraying what Christ has done for us. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you, don't let this sound impossible to you. You must have a bad this, this is big. What must I do? Very simple. Go down, go to your room. Or in the car, or whatever, listen to the message of God's unconditional love and no condemnation. Take that verse I read, was out of Zechariah, whatever, 3, where it says, I rebuke the accuser. Accuser, I rebuke you. I rebuke you. And I choose Jerusalem. I choose Jerusalem. Romans 9. The two, the, the, the two boys was in the womb of, um, was it, is it, is it Rebecca, wie was die vrou, kan nie onthou nie. Die tweeling, in Rebecca, ja, Rebecca had this, the, this, the, these twins, and Jacob and Esau, and they were already in the, in the womb fighting. And then before they could do anything good or bad, God chose that the younger, uh, that the older will serve the younger. So that the election does not stand by the ability of man, but the choice of God. And God has chosen that no man will be justified by his own blood, or by his own works, or by his own holiness. But that man will be justified by what God has done for man, which is to remove all our sins through one sacrifice, and to obey all the law on our behalf, and then take his righteousness and assign it to mankind as a free gift. 
those who can believe that are saved. That's the simple gospel. Start to meditate on that. Let those things dwell through your mind. Go to Colossians 2.14 which says, uh, um, The fullness of the Godhead indwells Jesus bodily and we have the fullness of God. And think on that. Just sit down. And think a bit until it feels that your spirit is too big for your body. Because that's what happens when you start to think on those things. And from there, you'll find you don't have to try and treat your wife well. You will find that that way of life starts to become part of your soul. Your mind, will and emotion. And from there, you treat your wife well. And the, hu- the, the wife loves the hu- husband as well. You'll find your children will love the things of God. You'll find a, a unity and a bond between you and your children. And I just want to say, I testify of this. Between me and my wife and my kids, we, we're a close family. I, we, we love each other, man. We've got fun. We laugh together. We, we, we just have, we've got joy. Like I said, we also have our times when we will disagree or this or that, or I will tell the kids, Man, I think you to say you must come me. Or, How come you all warm water? You know? And there will be discipline and all those things. But if you take everything into consideration, it's, it, there's joy. It's happy. It's stable. Children love God. Amen. Because they're experiencing the love of God. And it was not me trying to be good. I want to say it's the fruit of this revelation. Amen. Maybe your kids are out of the house already. Maybe you say, but I've messed it up. I want to tell you, <laughs> there's no condemnation for you. Whatever accuser, maybe I'm giving the word right now. And in the presence of the angel or the messenger, there's an accuser coming. Oh, but I wish I knew this. Oh, I wish this. Oh, I, I want to tell you, God's rebuking that accuser right now. And so I take them out of that and I bless them. Amen. You cannot fail in the presence of God. He's come to save us. Hallelujah. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they became one flesh. So it says here, let's go verse 29. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church. Since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. Read it again. It says, look at what Christ has done. Okay? Then it says, this is why a man. This is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. Why does a man cherish his wife? Because he experiences the cherishing of God. But a gospel of condemnation, a gospel of laws, a gospel of you're not good enough has always been preached to us. And now we must from that platform love. It is impossible. We can take the scripture and turn it around and say, um, if a man is not cherished, that is why, uh, 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 um, this is why a man will leave his wife and cleave to another wife. For he's not cherished. He doesn't feel cherished. He's got business problems, he's got this problem, he's got that problem. Then he comes home, there's no cherishing in his heart. He comes home, he, he, he wants to abuse his wife for some sexual uh, pleasure so he can just feel a little bit better about himself. 
She gets tired of that. There's arguments and in a gestreerij and whatever and the thing doesn't work. And out of that is a condemnation. If you get divorced, you have committed the, un, the, the sin that can never be forgiven. Oh my goodness. It cannot work that way. It cannot work that way. The platform for a happy life is this message of being cherished by God. I mean, this is why, this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherished wife. No longer two, they became one flesh. This is a huge mystery. I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. Look at this Paul guy, man. <laughs> He's got such a revelation of Christ and man being one. When it comes to marriage, he uses this. He says, man, look at Christ and the church. When it comes to uh, uh, sexual immorality, he, he uses this. He says, don't you know who you are? Everything he does, when it comes to the, the gospel, uh, on, on what Christ has done for us, it's always Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church. Hallelujah. Let's, let's read one more verse. Colossians 3 verse 1 and Colossians 2.17 and we end off with that. Colossians 3.1 if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is what Paul wrote. So he, he said, our life is hidden in Christ with God. So it's in Christ our life was hidden. And then if you wanted to have success in marriage, yes Paul, not married, giving advice in marriage, very good advice. But he says, a successful marriage finds its origin in the unity between God and man. And he goes and he seeks what is up there and he finds the origin of life in the revelation of who he is in Christ. You don't have another life my friend. You don't have another marriage than the one that's in Christ. There is no other way it can... It, now listen, there's no other way in which it can be as God intended it to be. Maybe you've been married for 30 years, you're very happy, you know. But imagine what you can have. Or, I don't want to say what you can have, what will manifest. For you already have this in Christ. It is yours. It is yours. All that I think is, let's not make this a theory that makes us feel good when we've done something bad. Let this become our reality. This is real. We don't have any other life. I wonder I want to preach here on the Ten Commandments. Now one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not lie. And, you know, I felt God speak to me. He said to me, Bertie, why are you lying to yourself? Speak the truth about yourself. The truth is how much God loves me. The truth is how holy I am. The truth is how blessed I am. The truth is how He always meets my needs. The truth is how healthy I am. The truth is how He approves of me. Don't lie. 
Speak the truth about your life. Don't lie to people. Don't lie to your children. Don't lie to your wife. Speak the truth to them. What is the truth about their lives? Is how holy they are, how blessed they are, how God cares for us, how we are the apple of His eye, how the accuser has been removed, how peace is our portion. The new man in Christ, the life of Christ, is the truth about every man. Let's, let's not lie. Now, with that law of saying, don't lie, not a law to say I'm righteous before God, but, uh, 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 how can I say, and good advice of who you really are. Live in the reality of who you are. Don't lie to the world. Don't tell the world, listen, you are this bad sinner. Tell the truth to the world. Jesus paid for the sin of the whole world 2,000 years ago. And I find other people also lying to the world, telling the world, you don't even need faith in Jesus to be saved. That's just a lie. Tell the truth. Listen, Jesus has already paid for you. The truth is that God has redeemed your original design so that you can live by faith now. And here is the truth about your life. He dresses you with dazzling white silk. He speaks radiant goodness over your life. He cherished you in His work. He cherished the world while they were in sin. He cherished them, speaking the truth about them. So let's speak the truth about the world. Let's speak the truth about ourselves and not lie. O Heere, die prijs van melk is nou dier, joh. Heere, ek weet nie of u gesien, maar weet nie wat kost tyers. God, do you know what a house cost? I can't pay a house. I don't know if I'll ever get a job. I don't know if somebody will ever support the ministry. Stop to lie and speak the truth. This is not positive confession, it's getting real. That's what God has given us. In the same way about your life and about God cherishing you. God didn't come for some... uh, 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 It wasn't as if He didn't have something to do. So we thought, well, let me just go and die for people and just give them some commandments just to keep them busy on earth. No, no. He loved the world so much. Remember that message I preached? He lost His breath over us. He lost His breath over people while they were in sin because of their value. And he says, this is too valuable to go lost. Let me save it. Let that become part of your belief system and your mind and your way of thinking. And that's the foundation for a happy marriage. If you have been divorced, I want to tell you there's no condemnation for you. If you have not been divorced, you are married, you've done some wrong things, or sometimes you feel you don't treat your wife right or your husband right, I want to tell you, remember, the only value that has as pertaining to you and God, is a shadow value. It's got no salvation value. Marriage has got no salvation value whatsoever. The fruit of a happy marriage is children and people around you and a power of two people together bringing forth the glorious gospel in a powerful way. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to tell every one of you, You are so loved by God. You are so cherished by God. Please take time and say, God, um, I want to meditate upon your truth. Maybe when you read the Bible and you open the Bible, you still feel condemned because you read verses that condemns you. Man, close the book then for a while. 
We're not saved by reading Bible. We are saved by believing in the gospel of Jesus. You know the people in Ephesus didn't have a Bible. The people in Colossae didn't have a Bible. The people in Galatia didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible. The Bible wasn't even written then. They didn't read anything. They, could, they didn't even have the Old Testament to read. The Gentiles had zilch, nothing to read. When Paul came and he preached to, to, to the philosophers, he even used the, the, the Greek philosophers' philosophies and preached out of that. In Acts 17. Just to get them to understand something. All that I'm saying, don't be so legalistic saying, well, I must read this now, and then you start to read things that condemn yourself. Rather take this good news you've heard tonight, go home and meditate upon it, meditate upon it, meditate upon it, until you find that revelation of love in you. And I end off with this, and for you, for the people that come here a long time, you would have heard this. You know, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand marriage, if you want to understand anything, it must be from the platform of how much God loves us. The Bible says God is the Word. And the Bible says God is love. If God is the Word and God is love, if it is not a word of love, it is not the Word of God. If the Bible is written in the language of God's unconditional love for man, and you don't first come with a mindset of His unconditional love, how will you understand this book? You will not understand it. It's like I said, this example, if, if I go to Zambia, in the deep bush, I used this years ago when there was no in, cell phones there. But now there's cell phones. <laughs> Imagine I was in the deep bush and I write my wife a letter. And I write for my, my bokie. I say, buddy, he's come free to you. And the letter gets lost in the post. And 500 years from now, in the meantime, I became a well-known Billy Graham. And 500 years from now, people are reading the biographies of my life and everything, and somebody found this letter. And they don't understand my relationship with my wife, nothing. They just see, he calls his wife an animal, and then he would eat her. He is a cannibal. And then from there a theory gets developed that he had many wives because once he ate one. It was now. <laughs> you see, unless, unless you know me and unless you know the love that I have for my wife, you cannot understand my letter. In the same way, I want to tell you, unless... You can believe how much God loves you. You cannot understand this book. For it's written about God's love for people. It's not written about God being obsessed with people to live right. God has been obsessed with making you holy by His doing. And giving you who He is as a free gift. And then from there, the nature of God lives in us. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Listen, if this doesn't make you happy, at least God and me, we are happy about this. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, and I hope my throat blay. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you love us. 
Thank you, Lord, that in this atmosphere of your love for, for us, we feel love for each other. I can just, while I hear this message, I feel love for people. I feel love for Helena and my children. I, I feel how I, how I can lay down my life for people. I thank you, Lord, that this revelation can always indwell our hearts, for it's always true. It's not true every once in a while. This is the God's truth about every man. And I thank you, Lord, that every person can come to the realization of this truth. I thank you, my God, that every person can go out here knowing his value and other people's value before you. And Lord, how you cherish us, how you speak well about us as the foundation of a healthy marriage. I thank you, Lord, that we can open up our hearts to be in, in graced so that we will not have a willpower marriage, but a grace-based marriage. I thank you, Lord, the moment that kicks in, it's not, about, it's not about who the other person is in this natural world. It's not about how beautiful, how skinny, or how overweight, or anything. It's all about you, and we can see you in that person. And God's beauty makes the person beautiful. And we find a love, and the dynamics of God's love working in marriage. Thank you for that, my God. I declare every person blessed in this congregation. I declare every person healed in this congregation. I declare every marriage healed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that I can pray for those that have not, husbands and wives that have not believed in this good news. That the, uh, um, the husband and wife that's here, that knows and understand grace. I thank you God that they are empowered to share this grace in such an uplifting, non-condemning way. That the, 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 that the, the partner they have cannot but be impacted by this grace. I thank you, Lord, for an overflow of joy and love that comes from this revelation. Thank you, my God, that we don't have to try and produce anything by ourselves, but what is produced in us is as a result of your doing. Thank you, my God. We rest in the revelation of your love for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I can pray for every person here that's got financial difficulty, uh, people that need a job, uh, people that need maybe a raise at their work, or that needs business. I thank you, my God, that I can declare them blessed by Jesus Christ. You cherish us, and therefore we know out of your per the, the person of a God that cherishes us, you care for our every need. You provide for us in abundance. Thank you for that, my God. I declare every person blessed. And the power of this blessing is the cross and the very person of God's love for people. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, my God. Thank you for your love. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah.